We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hey, it's Flo. And this is my impression of a 1930s gangster using Progressive's Name Your Price tool. Yeah, see? This Name Your Price tool really lays it all out on the table, see? All I had to do was tell her how much I wanted to spend, and it gave me options in one place, see? Makes all of it easy to see, see? It's easy to find insurance that fits your budget with the Name Your Price tool. Only at Progressive.com. I might need glasses so I can see more when I'm doing gangster stuff, see? Progressive Casualty Insurance Company. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. You can use the promo code ROTOWIRE when you deposit. That'll get you a free DraftKings contest entry today. It is Monday, December 14th. Nick Whalen here, as I always am on Mondays, with Rotowire's Derek Van Riper. Derek, we're going to break down all of the Week 14 action in the NFL, including a massive Jaguars. Uh, record-setting win over the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, other than that, somewhat of a down week in the NFL. A lot of uh, kind of just bleh type of games, especially in that early slate. 
Um, yeah, I mean, what were your overall thoughts? What were you able to watch or, or keep a close eye on on Sunday? Well, I have the streaming uh, Red Zone Sunday ticket combo, and for one reason or another, it just did not work well for the first half of the first wave of games. So I missed a good chunk of the first uh, hour and a half of action league-wide, but I was watching a lot of these Steelers, Bengals, and Bears, Redskins games, which actually on this slate were better matchups than most since there were uh, playoff implications for all teams involved. It was a bad week overall. A lot of matchups that really didn't matter for some games. There was just some lopsided results. I mean, I guess the the one silver lining is we didn't really hear that much about the officiating being bad this week. Maybe that was because the quality of the games was so low that no one was watching that closely. Yeah, there was... Uh... There were, like I said, just quite a few games that, that were pretty uninspiring games that I didn't really feel like I was missing too much on. Uh, you know, when I was focusing on Steelers Bengals was the game on TV. Uh, for some reason, uh, Jags uh, Jags Colts was not aired nationally uh, in in the Wisconsin area. I'm not, some sort of blunder there, I guess, by CBS. But um, and we'll start in in Philadelphia, I guess, where the Eagles held on 23 to 20 over the Bills. All of a sudden, this Eagles team, two weeks ago, it was, you know, Chip Kelly's gone. This is the end of the world. Everything's terrible. Now they're tied for first in the division. If the Giants lose tonight, or excuse me, if the Giants win tonight, they can move into a three-way tie. Uh, that would all be at 6-7 and seven with Washington and Philadelphia. The NFC East continues to be terrible, uh, but at the same time, you know, is there any of these three teams? You know, one, one of the three is going to have to make the playoffs. Math, math says that's how it works. Is there any of these three teams that you think you know could do anything or, or make any kind of noise in the playoffs? No, I think they're all going to lose no matter who they play first because they're just weak teams, as you said. The home field advantage will help a little, of course, because as a division winner, they'll host a team, but that team is going to be Seattle, most likely, and Seattle's not going to go on the road and lose to any one of the teams in the NFC East. The only exception to that would really be the Giants if the Giants show up and play a game like they did against the Patriots a few weeks ago. But in if, if you played that game 100 times, that would happen five times maybe. <laughs> well, and they also still lost that game Yeah, too, they, yeah so. they still lost. I mean, so like that's, that gives you an idea of just mm-hmm. where they're at. And Seattle right now just looks like maybe the most dangerous team of all the potential wildcard teams in either conference. So the way it shapes up, I, I, I don't even know if it matters who wins the division. It's nice to see Philly producing a little bit i mean it's not as though the offense has just been unstoppable though in in recent weeks right it's it's not at all a lot of defense a lot of special teams it's amazing the defense has gone from complete dumpster fire on thanksgiving to somewhat respectable these last couple weeks against the bills and patriots right yeah it has and like you said the it's not like all their woes have been solved you know it's not seattle struggled early in the year they've turned it on and everything's clicking for them over these last four or five weeks russell wilson you know, playing the best football, arguably, of his career right now, especially given the uh, the deficiency of weapons on that team. But yeah, Philadelphia is kind of grinding out these wins. I mean, the win over New England is is great, and it's you know it's certainly nothing to take away from that. But you know, there's injuries on the side of New England there. They still are having trouble running the ball. Uh, you know, special teams were the and the defense, I guess, were were kind of what pulled through against New England. But I mean, you look, 34 carries for 116 yards. It's not. It's not terrible, but it, it's still you know less than three and a half yards per carry. Demarco Murray, thirty-four yards on eleven carries. Ryan Matthews, thirty-eight yards on thirteen carries. You know they're still not they're not humming, or I think even close to where they want to be offensively. No, and I think the carry split makes things even more frustrating. I mean, like Murray wasn't any worse than Matthews, but 
over the course of the year, Matthews has been over five yards per carry, so that kind of leads you to be concerned. And Sproles getting all these carries is out of nowhere, it seems, because his role in the offense is usually just mostly catching passes. I, I don't know how to predict it week in and week out. I mean, if, if in the stake league next week, I'm, I'm looking at Murray versus Matthews again for one of my running back spots. I honestly don't know, as of Monday at least, which way I'm going to go. No, I'm not really sure there is a right answer right now. And you know, knowing the talent that both of these guys have, especially Murray, you know, it wouldn't surprise you if he you know, had a breakout game one of these weeks. But at the same time, he hasn't really given you much uh, to make you believe that that's going to happen at all. Sam Bradford, 23 of 38, 247 yards, a touchdown and a pick. In this one, the touchdown uh, was a long throw, 53 yards to Nelson Aguilar, the rookie out of USC. Tyrod Taylor, maybe not you know, having the, the type of role that you want from him, attempted 36 passes. The Bills now 0-5 on the season when he attempts at least 30 passes. Well, the Bills did I think, run a few more plays than they might in a typical game. I mean, 30, right. 36 passes, 32 runs, so 68 in total and I mean Tyrod ran it well he only threw the one picks only sacked once so he didn't play poorly but just didn't quite do enough to get this road victory I mean these teams seem pretty even to me oh yeah I think it's pretty just one of the better matchups of this week Robert Woods had a good day Sammy Watkins scored five for 81 and a TD Shady went over 100 yards from scrimmage 74 on the ground 35 as a receiver uh, didn't get in the end zone though. Mike Gillisley got the TD. Like that—that's the kind of thing. If you're if you're a shady McCoy owner and you know, on DraftKings season long, that just drives you nuts when that happens in Week 14. Yeah, and uh, there were reports. Obviously, a lot of history between uh, Shady McCoy and, and this Philadelphia team, and what ha- went down this offseason with Chip Kelly. Apparently, he was the first one off the field. Went into the locker room and was was seen uh, using some profanity and slamming his helmet into the wall. Um, so. Good. I guess uh, passion is that is that how you want to frame it? He just really, um, really wanted to get one against his old team, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I mean, okay. So I want to ask you about Sammy Watkins quickly. I mean, this is a guy who's struggled the first few weeks of the season. Was you know looking like I don't know, definitely not a bust. I guess far too easily, far too early for that. Um, but you know, coming off of an encouraging rookie year, it looked like he was you know not off to the start that people wanted him to be. Last four weeks now. Uh, 39 yards against New England, not a great game, but then 158 against Kansas City, 109 against Houston, 81 uh, on Sunday, four touchdowns over those last three weeks. What I wanted to ask is, are you concerned at all that his reception numbers are fairly low for a guy who's you know a number one target? Do you think that's more Tyrod Taylor, or do you think it's more Sammy Watkins is kind of a, a bigger home run threat type of receiver than he is a possession type of guy. It's probably a little bit of, of everything. I mean, I think with Watkins, he's maybe in this offense never going to be a high-volume guy because they do have other options to throw it to. I mean, Robert Woods is a decent player. They have Charles Clay as a quality tight end. They mix in a couple other guys. But if you're going to throw it 25 to 30 times most weeks, it's not going to be there. And mm-hmm. I think where you really get concerned is in full-point PPR leagues. Otherwise... I think Sammy Watkins can kind of firm himself up as maybe, I don't know, a top 20 receiver in non-PPR leagues. If you're not getting any points for receptions, 716 yards on 39 catches is pretty impressive. Roy, do you think he's a better real-life receiver than a fantasy receiver? Or do you think other way around? Maybe? I mean, because it's, it's so hard to read. I mean, you look at these last three weeks, 47-yard catch, 53-yard catch, 48-yard catch. You know, it's kind of 
big play here and there that are kind of buoying his numbers whereas you look at some of the other top receivers in the league and they'll have 10 11 12 catch games whereas Watkins you know he kind of tops out at like five or six yeah I almost wonder if it's a little bit like a like a Torrey Smith type fantasy player Mm -hmm. thinking about Smith a couple years ago Deshaun Jackson guys that some weeks you know he'll have the occasional week where he catches nine or ten balls for 160 yards and scores twice and then he'll have the two for 15 nothing game like that's just what's going to be kind of part of his game it seems like for the game flow reasons I mentioned and just because of of a lot of factors again Tyrod Taylor being one of them but Taylor's at least good enough to throw the deep ball and as long as you have someone that can throw the deep ball with Sammy Watkins he has the chance to make those explosive plays 49ers 10 Browns 24 Johnny Manziel gets the win he Derek he signed a $100 bill before the game do you think that makes him a bad guy i think it's a crime i think it's a crime it's I mean, defacing, I think, defacing currency yeah i think it makes him a criminal i don't know if it makes mm-hmm. him a bad guy otherwise but i don't know how he didn't i thought they should have arrested him he did it right on tv on the spot i know he's uh he's interesting that's for sure yeah i mean he played pretty well in this one had the really ugly pick almost broke the surface tablet over his head which would have been awesome Still pretty cool watching the gifts of him just kind of like a, like a Bo Jackson, just like kind of slowly snap it over his head. Yeah, I would have been up for that. I'd love to know what's on the inside of a Microsoft Surface, but we'll we'll probably never know. Some jelly, grape jelly, <laughs> uh, strawberry, strawberry, unseeded, seeded. Yeah, seeds. I'm a seeded guy. Seeds are important. Manziel well, played well though. I mean, 21 of 31. As far as the Browns quarterbacks go, I think this is about as good as you can ask. 270 yards, a touchdown. Did have that pick, like you said, only sacked twice. Didn't do a ton on the ground. Seven carries, most of those in you know scrambling situations, just 15 yards. But Isaiah Kroll. I mean, this is a Browns team that has not been able to run the ball at all this season. And you know, we've talked about their three and four back committee, which has just you know kind of failed over and over. But if for some reason you were you were starting Isaiah Crowell this week, you hit it big. Twenty carries, one hundred forty-five yards, and two touchdowns for him. Duke Johnson, seventy-eight rushing yards. He's a guy who's done more damage as a receiver this year, uh, but had just one catch for six yards. Gary Barnage, him in his new contract, he got in the end zone. Brian Hartline got over a hundred yards. This was just a a very uncharacteristic game from what's been a, a very poor Cleveland offense. It's weird that having a playmaker at quarterback opens things up for everybody else, right, though. Yeah. Also, I'm playing against Isaiah Crowell in the Stopa Law Firm playoffs this week, which is awful. Sorry. Really bad because uh, otherwise everything was kind of breaking my way in that league. A lot of uh, players on – I was playing Scott Pianowski from Yahoo, and so like, I think three or four of his players left the game early with a bunch of different injuries, which you know, I, I'd like to just win straight up because I have the better team. And it seemed like I'd be in, in really good shape, but I looked down. Crowell had a huge day, and, and with that, it's going to come down to the Monday night game. So it's going to be um, it's going to be a photo finish. Yeah, yeah. Blaine Gabbert, um, the, you know, not the hero that San Francisco deserves. Did he did not win Sports Illustrated Sportsman of the Year? That's been a hot topic of debate this morning. I, th- I thought Gabbert, with his performance over the last few weeks, made a late push, but well, uh, they ended up going Serena Williams nine sacks yesterday. That that may have maybe done it yeah you know i I think i think people got a little bit overexcited about his wheels um (laughs) after that after that that scamper um a a couple weeks ago and yeah i'm not really able to avoid that vaunted cleveland pass rush i mean this is just an embarrassing line really from san francisco like you said nine sacks on blaine gabbert uh half as many sacks as completions 18 for 28 just 194 yards did have a touchdown that went to the great jerome simpson i believe who is a former viking yeah, he made a couple big plays back in the day. He had that awesome flip 
at one point, like over a defender oh, right, in the end course. zone. That was Jerome Simpson. Well, okay, so a couple things. Brian Hartline fractured his collarbone, so the recent surge in production for him, that ends now because his season is over. Yep. Um, and Blaine Gabbert is still pretty much everything we thought he was all along. But I know you're a big Drake guy. Mm-hmm. So do you, do you do you go which which pun do you go with? Do you go Hartline Bling for Brian Hartline? Or do you go uh, Hotline Blaine for Blaine Gabbert? I, well, yeah, it's tough, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that I think you got to go Hartline Bling, just because the Gabbert thing doesn't really hold up past this week. You know, unfortunately, there there aren't any more Browns Niners matchups uh, on the schedule. So, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go Hartline Hartline Bling. I didn't even think of that. Just something I want to throw out there for you. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we can probably probably move on from from this game unless you have anything to add. Now we'll get to the main event from Sunday's early games: Colts sixteen, Jacksonville Jaguars fifty-one. That is a franchise regular season record. Of course, uh, it was I think it was the late nineties they put sixty-two on the Dolphins at a playoff game. But first time in franchise history the Jags have scored fifty in a regular season game. Um, I want to talk about how they got to 50. This game, this is a game that Jacksonville had three passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns, a punt return touchdown, as well as a fumble return touchdown. I mean, they're doing it in all phases of the game right now, and that's that's the mark of a good team. I mean, you, you can't beat them in any uh, in any one regard. But the score was 44 to 16 with 157 remaining, and Charlie Whitehurst, who was in the game for uh, injury reasons, we'll get to that in a minute throws a pick um i forget who had the pick i, I want to say it was devon house actually um it was oh cyprian so jonathan cyprian picked it off ran it all the way back to the one yard line um and just under two minutes left you know it's not like you're just going to take a knee uh the colts still had timeouts you know it was the game was wrapped up at this point but they're stuffed on three straight downs it's fourth and one from the one yard line you're up 44 to 16 you obviously kick it right yeah, sure. Why, why not? Well, the Jaguars called timeout to think about it and then sent the <laughs> offense out and ran a QB sneak on fourth and goal uh, from basically the goal line. And, yeah, got him over 50. It appeased the fans who, at the time, you could hear it on the broadcast, were chanting, we want 50. Wow. So, I, it's, that's pretty – teams don't usually do that. Teams usually just, just, no, they don't. just kick the field goal and And they showed, like, go. the Colts sideline and no one seemed to react. Like, I was kind of expecting a little bit of a, you know, on the ensuing kickoff, like a, a shoving scuffle. I mean, that's just – you don't do that. I mean, of course, I was I was totally on board with the move. I go for fifty, but I think it was a little bit puzzling. Well, if you look at the team and, and how things have shaped up, at five and eight, they're a game back of the division lead in the AFC South. So, oh yeah, point differential or points scored that that could end up being a tiebreaker at some point. That's true. I didn't think of that. The other thing is their kicker Jason Myers has been atrocious this season especially from short range he missed another extra point early in this one so that's seven missed extra points uh in 13 games now for, for Mr. Myers after they traded Scobie obviously that in retrospect didn't seem like that bad of a move because he ended up getting cut by Pittsburgh um but yeah kicking woes continue Jags are ninth in scoring this year they're ahead of Green Bay in scoring passing yards and total offense if you're wondering um so Aaron Rodgers or Blake Bortles Bortles I'm sure I mean, why not? <laughs> just please, just, just let me have this. All right, this is a, this is a big win. The Jags have Atlanta, New Orleans, and Houston remaining on the schedule. I spent a lot of time on the New York Times uh, playoff scenario um, <laughs> website. I'm, I'm not sure, but basically runs projections, and 
I, I, there's there's some ways that this can happen. Obviously, if they win out, there um, are some ways this. There can are happen. some ways. There, the odds aren't great. You right think eight now. and eight's going to get it done? I mean, well, they're going to. Somebody's got to do it. I, I mean, mean, they have one game against Houston left. So, you know, if they go, if Houston they, could lose either two though and only win seven. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, cause like, they, they could both be seven and nine. Going into the week seventeen, no, like after that, I mean, yeah. they, they could both finish seven and nine. Sure, so it's, it's a mess. I don't know how the tiebreak would work out um, off the top of my head like that. I and mean, they've already lost to Houston once this year. Tennessee's uh, officially out of it. Um, I'm also gonna I'm gonna officially win my my Tennessee under six wins Vegas bet as well. Uh, oh yeah, is that locked in yet? Well, technically no, but they're at New England next week. Oh, that helps. Um, so yeah, technically yes, I guess. Um, so once once they drop that, it, it will be locked in. Um, but yeah, Jaguars down. Jags, excuse me, were down thirteen to three in this one. They outscore Indianapolis forty-eight to three over the final thirty-one minutes and fifty-six seconds. Uh, like I said, the "We Want 50 chant uh, audibly ringing out over the broadcast. Andre Branch returned a fumble for a touchdown on the possession after Blake Bortles fumbled a snap for the second straight week for to be recovered in the end zone for a touchdown. So some issues still to work out. Um, but as you can probably tell, I was pretty excited about how this one transpired, especially on a day when Allen Robinson had one catch for four yards, and they still put up 51 points. At least Allen Robinson scored, though. Like, right, yeah, the one catch the was key. a touchdown. It was a touchdown, but the Allen Hearns 80-yarder, that was pretty big for me. That helped it's me in stake league. Tackling, yeah. you know, really ugly play, but helped me out in maybe in the Stopa League, too, depending on, on what happens. So Allen Hearns, man, I, I, I never trust him when I put him in my lineup, and then something happens and it just works yep. out, which – Eventually, well, very, that can't that can't keep happening. No, no, but a very Sammy Watkins esque three catches for 105 yards and a touchdown uh, line for him. And I mean, are him and Robinson both going to be Pro Bowlers? I think the numbers might kind of require that. We should just make this a Jag podcast. Jagcast. Jagcast. Yeah, they yeah, have that already. That. Uh, somewhere, I'm sure. Um, other note, real uh, real notes that actually have implications. Matt Hasselbeck left the game late in this one wasn't really clear what exactly the injury was. He was kind of scrambling over to the sideline, got pushed out. It looked like he wa- he wanted a, a late hit call, didn't get it. But he ended up just, like, sitting down on the Jaguars' sideline for a couple minutes. And, like, the, the the medical staff came all the way across the field. And, like, it looked like he could have got up, but he was just kind of frustrated, I think. Uh, so Charlie Whitehurst came into the game. He went 2, two of 8 for 8 yards on that pick. Uh, that was about 3 feet away from, from being a pick 6. So if, you know, if Andrew Luck, who seems to kind of be week to week at this point, if he still can't go and, and whatever Hasselbeck's injury turns out to be, I think the suggestion is it's, you know, he kind of re-aggravated that rib injury. If he can't go and Charlie Whitehurst has to take over next week, then I really like the Jags' chances. Yeah, I mean, I, I looked at uh, a couple spots in this game, and it seemed like Hasselbeck was just getting destroyed a lot. Like he yes. had one point earlier in the game where it looked like he might have broke his collarbone earlier in the game, the way he was laying there writhing in pain, but he stayed in and then eventually looked like maybe he jammed his arm or something when he fell. Yeah. You know, the weird thing about NFL sidelines, and this is how boring of a week it really was, I keep seeing guys just like sliding all over the place because of the tarps they put right. down. Why don't they just put down fake turf? Like just fake grass. Who cares if yeah. that gets smashed? Because guys go flying into like those giant storage bins and, and benches, benches yeah, and like, coaches and like it just seems like they're making a, an already like pretty hazardous situation like five times worse by putting a slip and slide on every sideline right you're kind of relying especially if you're not on your own sideline you're almost relying on like the other team to kind of like catch you if you if you know if you come flying out of bounds and you're running at an angle and you get shoved at the last second like 
you got what eight feet between you and a, a very hard metal bench. Yeah, you and you're gonna get there because your momentum, especially if everything's wet, is you're, and you're on cleats. There. Yeah, exactly. You're not stopping. Right, exactly. All right, that's enough of uh, enough Jags talk for the podcast. Lions fourteen, Rams twenty one. St. Louis snaps a five game losing streak. Jay Z was in the locker room after the game. Uh, he's a St. Louis native, right? What? No, I. Well, he. Why was he as there? You know, he, well, he owns Rock Nation Sports, uh, sports agency, and and Todd Gurley is a client. So I think that's the connection. I still feel like he would have waited for Todd Gurley to play against the Jets or the Giants to hang out with him, or like anywhere but St. Louis, like anywhere closer. Yeah, than well, I mean that. that's cool. That's cool for for St. Louis. I mean, good good for them. But Gurley back to being Todd Gurley, sixteen carries, hundred and forty yards, two TDs. I like it. I wanted to ask you: is he already is he already the best athlete ever named Todd? Other candidates: Todd Sauerbrunn, Todd Pinkston, Todd Heap, Todd Helton. Mm. Todd Frazier and Todd Coffey. Uh, Helton makes a strong case. Helton would be his his greatest competition right now. I think Helton was around for a long time. So if we're talking about achievement, Helton probably has the edge. But if we're talking about actual athletes, I would say Gurley's the better athlete. He's already like far and away the best football player ever named Todd, right? Or do you think Todd, he, I mean, he had a couple good years. Trying to think if there's any famous Todds that I'm forgetting about. And Todd Marinovich. That's yeah. Todd Bauman. Nope. Um, I, I think. I think no there's more off the top of my head. Really good chance that Todd Gurley is the best athlete named Todd ever. I was trying to think of NBA. There just aren't a lot. Todd McCullough. I don't know if you remember him. The the big laboring center for the 76ers, uh, kind of at the beginning of the 2000s. But yeah, I mean Todd's just not a strong name when it when it comes to athletics. Uh, another very strong athletic name, Case. Case Keenum, 14 of 22, 124 yards and a pick in this one. So the Rams basically winning despite that passing game. Tavon Austin, 40 rushing yards, 19 receiving yards. A little bit of a down week for him, but still kind of doing it in both of those phases of the game. Matt Stafford, 245 yards, two touchdowns. Did throw a pick six early in this one, though, to put the Lions in a little bit of a hole. And, and obviously they weren't able to dig their way out of it. And Calvin Johnson, one catch, 16 yards, five targets. You know what? I'm looking at this whole thing, this game, the next one, the game after that. What, what are we doing here? Like, what is this? What happened yesterday? Like, why, why do we watch this when, on, on a bad day? I, I sat and watched this happen yesterday. Like, you I, I just you watch Lions-Rams? Not this particular game, but I'm saying like I, this oh, early slate of games. Like, terrible. I glued myself to the chair for the first three hours of, of the games, and then I, I went out, got some food, came back for the Packer game. The Denver-Oakland game that ran with the Packer game was awful, too, so I didn't miss anything I there. I didn't watch a second of that. I, was I had the Sunday night game on. I was like building an outline for a different podcast while I was doing that. Not a football one. Not, not cheat on you listeners with a different football podcast. But, um, yeah, a sigh of relief, too, for, from, from you as my co-host. But... What the hell? Like, what is this? This is awful. Like, this is this is the, this is the debacle. I don't I don't even want to talk about this stuff. I, just just the entire slate. I I think we should just end the pod in like ten minutes because this is this is terrible. <laughs> this mean, is this is the worst slate of games we've had all year, isn't it? I think so. I think Steelers. Well, Dalton going down early in that Steelers Bengals game kind of kind of put a damper on right. what should have been a really good game. That would have been a great um, game otherwise, and that Saints, killed yeah, it. I mean, Saints Bucks Titans Jets. Chargers, Chiefs, maybe the worst of all. Redskins, Bears. Uh, we don't even know. I don't even want to talk about the the Atlanta football team and what they've become. 
Uh, yeah, this is a pretty gross slate. I mean, like Cowboys Packers, if the Cowboys didn't have their injuries, you know, would would have probably been a very intriguing game back at Lambeau after what happened last year. But it's just hard to get up for a game when Matt Castle is slinging it around to Cole Beasley. I'm, I'm with you there. I mean, the good news is we partnered with our friends at DraftKings to run an exclusive Rotowire fantasy football contest over the final four weeks of the football season. Rotowire podcast listeners can participate against each other and our host to earn a seat at the Rotowire Fantasy Football Championship in Week 17. The Week 15 qualifier is now live. It's just $5 to enter. The winner takes home $100 and a seat in the Week 17 Championship. You can join in the fun now. Sign up at rotowire.com slash DraftKings. That's rotowire.com slash DraftKings. I mean, you you summarized the entire week in 30 seconds. Like, the Steelers-Bengals game had no chance of being good once Andy Dalton left. I was really disappointed because I wanted to see a, like a playoff-caliber game between those two. And for me, the big takeaway is it looks like Andy Dalton's season is over, so it's going to be McCarron the rest of the way. And he, he played okay, but is he good enough to go into New England and, and win a game now that New England's back in the driver's seat no. for the number one seed? I guess the more important question for fantasy owners is, is he good enough to continue to make A.J. Green productive? Or is A.J. Green so good that he can just carry A.J. McCarron with him? Like, Or, or if, you, if you're an A.J. Green owner and you're playing for a league championship either next week or two weeks from now, are you concerned that you're going to get 70% of the production you thought you were going to get, mostly because it's you know it's McCarron over Dalton? Oh, I'm certainly concerned. Um, I'm also not to the point where I would... I don't think I would be sitting AJ Green, you know, unless you have another option behind him who's clearly of similar caliber. Um, but I mean, he he did rip off a touchdown from McCarron in this game and still finished with six catches for 132 yards, and a lot of that was on the back of you know the touchdown being a 66 yarder. Um, but you know, I, I don't think he's quite to the the level of a guy who can who you could say could single handedly carry a quarterback. But I think it doesn't hurt to have him you know I mean if, if they didn't have AJ Green I would be a lot more worried I guess about AJ McCarron the biggest thing for him I don't think confidence appears to be an issue he ruffled a few feathers after the game saying you know you know Tom Brady was in the same situation I was in 10 years ago or whatever and I think some people took that as a as really like a slight to Dalton I mean, yeah I mean some writers were like whoa can't believe you said that like, I, don't, I don't think he was I don't think he's taking shots at his own teammate you know um he's just trying to be the right. optimistic backup that every backup should be when they get a chance to play behind a guy who's been deemed a franchise quarterback there's yeah. no path for AJ McCarron to play otherwise so well, this is his chance whenever I see people questioning quotes like that I want to say like what did you want him to say so when someone says you know AJ how are you going to handle this opportunity what are you going to say like you know, well, you know, hopefully I can just kind of manage it until until Dalton gets back. Then I can pass it off. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't can't handle this pressure. You know, like, do you want everybody to be Brandon Whedon? Uh, didn't he have a similar quote when when Thromo went down? Yeah, I, I think so. It, it's just like I, I, the, the reporters who get upset about what players say don't make that much sense to me because it's like you said. Do they want them to just say the most cliche, perfect thing ever because that's boring and predictable? You can't win because can't can they write a story off AJ McCarron thinking he's Tom Brady? Can't they just make like blow it up into something else? Like that's right. What I that's would like if you're a reporter, you want that. Yeah. That's your headline. You know. Oh, I just really want Andy to be okay. Is that what they want him to say? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You can't. You can't win. You know. You 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 take the high road and just say the cliche thing, then you're boring and you. You know, you say something that I don't even think is controversial in, in the slightest, and, you know, it turns into a, a slew of tweets from beat writers. So, you know, I don't know. I, if I'm Cincinnati, I'm not, I'm not confident in A.J. McCarron that, you know, to, to say that 
you know, going into this game, I think with Andy Dalton, even though there are plenty of question marks, you know, about his playoff pedigree, I think this was still a top three Super Bowl contender in the AFC, bar none, really. Um, and now, you know, if you're New England, this is the best thing that could have happened, right? Everything's I mean, coming is there, up. Is there another now. team in the AFC? Um, is there, a, you know, another team in the AFC that even scares you, like? legitimately at this point is it is pittsburgh the second it's best pittsburgh. super bowl contender right now it, it, pittsburgh and new england are the two best teams now with dalton going down and uh, they might meet in well it won't be the first round of the playoffs now because the patriots are back into that position where they should end up with a bye uh, so the steelers would have to go on the road a couple times before they even get to play the patriots but I think they are the only team good enough to beat New England in the AFC as of right now. Right. I mean, if Jacksonville gets in, you know, this is maybe a different conversation. But you're looking at a Denver team that has. <laughs> let's re- let's rewind that. If Jacksonville uh, <laughs> gets in, we're talking about a different conversation. Um, yes, exactly. Well, you're talking. I mean, this is a very good Denver team, and I don't think you want to. I don't think you want to rule Denver out because of how good that defense can be. You know, if they put together, you know, a vintage Denver defense performance. You'd like to think they can maybe beat everybody. You know, Brock Osweiler makes a play or two. That might be enough. But at the same time, you know, if you want to, if you want to put it to the, you know, the Broncos play at New England ten times. How many times do the Broncos win? What, one, two? You know, I think I think if you're New England, you'll take those odds every time. And the Cincinnati team with AJ McCarron is significantly, uh, you know, less intimidating than, than with Andy Dalton. I think Pittsburgh, without the injuries to Roethlisberger earlier in the year, maybe they're sitting at ten and three, and and then you know we like them a little bit more. But they're an eight and five team right now. Yep, that's uh, that's the truth, and I mean they don't have an easy schedule, if I'm not mistaken, either. It might be some of Pittsburgh. A, yeah, it might be some of a difficult um, road. Let's see, they have uh, so obviously three games remaining. They go they're home for home for Denver next week at Baltimore at Cleveland. Okay, I, I forgot so about that. So should be two out of three for you sure. You know what it was? I, I looked at their, we looked at their schedule going to last week. I was counting the Cincinnati game right. as the other one. It was too too tough, mm-hmm. too easy, and then. That became three easy because of the Dalton mm-hmm. injury. I mean, I I, I kind of jumped over it because I'm I just want to hijack some of these games and not talk that much about them. But the Saints beat the Bucks. That's kind of weird. Like the Saints are a bad road though? team. Like, I don't know. Are they, I don't know anything about Tampa's not these that teams. good. Tim Hightower got a lot of work. I mean, 85 yards and a TD on 28 carries. He had a long, long of 12. 12 yards. Weird. Very I mean, weird. I don't. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't watch that. That's. I mean, that's the epitome of three yards in a cloud of dust i guess um Jameis couldn't beat the new orleans secondary to the point where mike evans had three catches for 39 yards i don't know i don't know what the saints team is i don't don't know what the bucks are i don't know what either of these teams are i'm not like i wasn't surprised by this result i wouldn't have been surprised if it was bucks 50 saints zero i'm not surprised if it's saints 24 bucks 17 like people don't even understand the the panthers i mean like the best team in in the league potentially People don't even get that right. Like, I'm, I'm one of them. I keep looking at them every week, waiting for the well, crash we to watching, come. And it's not happening. We were watching the Dan Patrick show out in, out in the office before coming in here, and they, they ran a poll, like just a, you know, kind of a random online poll. Whoever could vote, um, and who's the best team in football? And only 37 percent said Carolina. And I think that was number one. But this is a 13 and 0 team that's rolling through everybody right now. A 38 0 win over Atlanta uh, yesterday, and I still don't like. At what point are people going to start believing in this team? Maybe when they win the NFC Championship game, I guess. But <laughs> that's what it's going to take. I don't they, know why. If they're home to Arizona and Arizona keeps you know keeps playing well over these next few weeks, if they're home to Arizona in the NFC Championship game, what's the line on that? Carolina Carol- like four. Carolina minus three and a half. Right. That's the yeah. thing, and I, I don't think, I don't think that's the you know if they're they're going they would roll into that game what seventeen and zero. 
Yeah, they'd, they'd be 17-0 and because they'd be 16 from the regular season, a bye, one more, right. and they'd be there. Yeah, 17-0. A 17-0 team hosting what would probably be a four or five lost Cardinals team. And I agree with you. I, I mean, obviously we're not Vegas, but I, I think that people, they still don't get the respect that they rightfully deserve at this point. Yeah, they they really don't. But I don't know. I, I think it's going to take even more people to fully grasp I think they need to win the are. Super Bowl. Like, I don't even know if getting there is going to be enough. I think if they get there and lose by a touchdown in New England, that won't be enough. They're going to go the way of the Vikings team that went 15-1. and one. I think it was 14-2. and two. The, the Moss Carter. The, the Moss yeah. Carter one that lost to the Falcons in the playoffs. That's the way they're going to go. Do the Cardinals are the Falcons for them, or who, who ends up beating them? It could be, I mean... Carson Palmer, Chris Chandler? The thing about the NFC, though, I think almost any team that makes the playoffs outside of the NFC East winner is capable of winning the NFC. It's not yeah. because... Carolina isn't a great team it's because that's where the strength of the league is right now we were just talking about the AFC and how there's really nobody that can knock off the Patriots other than the Steelers at least that's what it looks like right now you probably have five playoff teams in the NFC that are all good enough to beat up on each other and get through and go to the Super Bowl so there's probably seven legitimate Super Bowl contenders right now yeah I think so I mean and you know I I don't want to sound jaded and you know saying the Packers are right up there now they're a contender but at the same time, would it really shock you if, if they got hot and won a couple games? I don't think it would. No, it wouldn't be the biggest surprise. I mean, I just think the the concern there for me continues to be that they don't have a lot to stretch the field in the passing game. No. They're, they're just a different-looking team right now. But if they run the ball like they were able to um, you know, against Dallas and they're not going to be playing teams like the Cowboys – uh, when it really matters but I mean it's it was it was a dramatic shift to what how how much that opened up the passing game last night Rodgers didn't have you know a vintage game by any means but it also wasn't the struggle filled uh offense we've seen over the last few weeks you know where it's you know just can barely complete these three yard uh, these three yard outs to Richard Rodgers you know they were actually able to get some things down the field just because the Cowboys had to respect the running game and you know, a refocused Eddie Lacy, I think, made an even bigger difference than I expected there would. Rejuvenated, as they said? Yes. I don't even understand what was wrong. I mean, the curfew thing is I think, whatever. well, I mean, uh, did you see his interview after the game? He he seemed, like, really upbeat. And normally yeah, I, he's pretty, like, laid back. Right, yeah. I think, you know, I don't know. It's hard, it's hard for me to believe that, you know, a, a big-time athlete like that can basically be benched and... He almost sounded like he had some sort of like revelation over the last I, two days. I, that's like, what it sounded like right? to me like too. It was, like was strange. Like, I'm like, wow, that's yeah, that's really unusual that he's like completely turned around, or at least saying saying all the right things. So, mm-hmm. look, Eddie Lacy running the ball well is the best thing that can happen to that offense, other than Jordy Nelson coming back. I mean, like really, like unless they're going to start taking some shots downfield with Janice or somebody else like I, I just I don't see them being nearly as dangerous I think what people are underestimating about the Packers is that they actually do have a pretty good defense right um, we'll see what happens with that Sam Shields injury I know he left that game and was evaluated for a concussion so it could be a couple of weeks before he returns but that's the aspect of the Packers that people might overlook they're just a more balanced team than usual they're not the offensive juggernaut they're not the team that can light it up with 350 or 400 yards to the air from Aaron Rodgers they're just a balanced team that can do a little bit of everything yeah, that's a good point. I think the the defense has played very well most of the time. You know, a couple lapses you know, during that that skid a few weeks ago, but on the whole, this defense has been. I think it's kind of been lost how good they have been, especially relative to some pass Packers defenses where that was the main issue. And you, know, you were worried. You were at this point. I think you're more worried about scoring on the Packers than you are on them running it up on you, right? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And 
mean, think about yesterday. Des Bryant had one catch for nine yards, and Shields, again, left this game early. And I realize Matt Castle had a lot to do with that. He's oh, yeah. part of the problem. Maybe he's the only problem. I don't know. 3.9 yards per attempt yesterday. And on a day where the Cowboys actually ran it pretty well, I think McFadden went over 100 yards on just nine carries. Turbin was pretty effective on a per-carry basis. And for whatever reason, I don't know if the game flow and just the way they were handling the play calling they couldn't run more. They ended up in a lot of third and long situations, and with that, they had to lean on Castle. Uh, but this is one of those games that you look back and you see the Packers win 28-7, and it's kind of the result you'd expect based on all, all the injuries Dallas has had this year. But this game was a lot closer throughout than that score would actually kind of indicate. Yeah, I mean, this was this was a a twenty-one, or excuse me, a fourteen to seven game until four minutes left in the fourth. You know, when Green Bay, James Starks went in on a long run and uh, Dallas gave it up on downs and Green Bay scored again. And like you said, I mean, it was it never had the feel that, you know, you, I don't I don't think watching this game, I was ever worried that Dallas was going to come back just because, of, you know, you have Matt Castle and you just don't trust a quarterback like that. But, yeah, it, it was a closer game in Green Bay uh, after going up. They were up 14-0, then they went punt, 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 touchdown, touchdown. So, I mean, there were four straight possessions there where the offense had completely stalled. I mean, has anything really changed with Mike McCarthy calling the plays again, other than John Kuhn getting more touches? Like, that's the only, that's the only visual evidence of uh, – are, are we okay over there? Oh, yeah, yeah, just spilling a little coffee. There's not, there's not too much left, so I think we're good. Oh, that's good. As long as we're not in the, in the board or in oh, your no, laptop, no, 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 we're, no. we're good to go. I, just, I didn't really see anything different. It, it looked like the same offense I've seen for the last few weeks, except they were running it more effectively. That's not a play-calling thing. That's an execution thing. Right, and they still struggled on third down, and that was such a big issue, uh, You know whether McCarthy's play, calling the plays or not. Those third and short situations, they just can never seem to get it right. Whether you know when, when they try to pass on third and one, they should have ran. And when they try to run it, you say they should have passed. You know, it's, it's, Those are the situations that you know, Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers especially are usually so good on third downs, and they're just not able to extend drives right now. Yeah, it's it's been a a marker of theirs for several weeks now where they just they really can't do that. Devonte Adams does continue to disappear though. It seemed like Jared Abradaris got a few extra snaps this week. Adams wasn't really getting any targets. It was pretty much Randall Cobb, Richard Rodgers, and that was pretty much it. Occasional looks at James Jones, but man, Devonte Adams. I don't, I don't just know fading. what it. Right? Yeah, I think that, well the weather wasn't great. I don't think he's a guy who. His skill set just like doesn't lend well to playing in like cold conditions or you know driving rain like it was for for a lot of last night. Uh, he just doesn't seem comfortable to me. He doesn't. He's not a quick guy. You know, I think this affects his ability to cut. And he's already a guy who has trouble getting open when the conditions are pristine. Falcons receiver Devonte Adams. Yeah, right. Basically, <laughs> it's where he's going to be Falcon someday. But um, I mean, the other games that we haven't got to yet: Jets over the Titans, thirty to eight. I mean, Marcus Mariota caught a TD from Antonio Andrews. That's, that's all. I really, that's all that needs to be said about that one. It's a little, it's a little backwards. Fitz had a good day. You know, Marshall Decker Powell all scored. Did you see Ivory the Brandon Marshall touchdown? No, I don't think I saw that. The Titans. One. I don't know what they didn't happened. cover they were, him, right. They just left well, him uncovered. They quick kind snapped. of yeah. They were well. It wasn't even the quick snap necessarily. Like the Titans were like trying to make a very ill-advised substitution. Like the defense is like you know those situations where you see everybody yelling at each other, like trying to scramble, and like Brandon Marshall was just out by himself and you know quick out or uh, just a quick throw to him right away. And he he pretty much outran everybody. I think the closest guy to him was uh, a Tennessee defensive tackle was the, was the only guy to notice he was out there. And instead of rushing the passer, he just took off as soon as the ball oh, was snapped and, and almost amazing. caught him. Like it, was a, it was an extremely heads-up play by, by the defensive tackle. I, I don't have his name off the top of my head. But, yeah, I mean, it was a 69-yard touchdown, basically untouched. And, 
you know, at that point, that kind of sealed it up. I mean, this this Titans offense has no chance to get into defense as good as the Jets. Get a real running back or give David Cobb some chances. That's all, that's all I can ask for. Chiefs 10, Chargers 3. I mean, this game also was just like, this was, it was running during that first block of games because it was in Kansas City. I barely saw it because these teams were hardly in the red zone. The Chiefs are splitting time between Charkandrick West and Spencer Ware. So you've got 54 and 52 yards respectively for them. 10 and 8 carries. No combined catches. Travis Kelsey owners get hosed. 3 catches, 18 yards, 5 targets. Nothing there. Phil Rivers played with the flu. It looked like he was playing with the flu. 24, 43, 263. A pick. 5 sacks. The Chargers can't run it. Melvin Gordon had 14 carries. Denny Woodhead had 3. And this... Chiefs team looks like it's still going to be good enough to go to the playoffs, even though they didn't win this game by a more decisive margin. This San Diego team was, for me, through the first seven or eight weeks, you know, I thought they were kind of underperforming. You look at some of, you know, the quarterback is, you know, a proven guy, and you have you have a few weapons around him, but this is just a bad team, I and mean, they're a legitimately bad, bad football team, and you know, they hung in there with what might be a good Kansas City team. I'm still not really sure about that, but. Yeah, the Melvin Gordon thing has not worked out at all. Still hasn't gotten in the end zone this year. Like you said, just 14 carries, 35 yards uh, in this one. And San Diego had a chance to tie it up on that final possession. Yeah, they were driving at the end of this game. Right. They put together uh, a 17-play drive. Took over with five minutes left, 17 plays. uh, Had it down. It was a first and goal at the Kansas City 1. They pick up a penalty. Uh, They pick up a delay of game out of a timeout. And then they go incomplete to Danny Woodhead, who had it in his hands, and a nice defensive play was made to knock it away as time expired. But uh, we had a vintage Philip Rivers tantrum kind of on the field after that one. He does know that losing is actually good for his future now, right? Oh, right. Yeah, I mean, San Diego has a lot of holes to fill. They're playing for draft position. They are. So they should lose. I mean, I know as an athlete or just any person who's competitive you don't want to lose but at the same time at that level you should think like oh well maybe i'll have better teammates next year if we right. keep losing uh redskins 24 bears 21 robbie gould lets the bears down again i mean you, what what happened this guy used to be one of the most clutch kickers in the league yeah i like your little note here <laughs> more like robbie copper yes more right. like robbie copper um yeah i mean this one was like a 50 yarder though i mean the one he missed last week i thought was a lot more egregious but still yeah i mean this is a guy who we've come to expect makes those kind of kicks and um i think chicago now is officially eliminated from playoff contention and you know tough tough week for the bears fans that were still holding out hope there but alshon jeffrey six catches 107 yards and a touchdown still remains in my opinion the most underrated receiver in the league i, I think he's that good uh what do you think about zach miller is he going to be a useful Thumbs guy up. over these last three weeks? I like him, yeah. Six targets, five for 85. Martellus Bennett's on IR. I mean, they don't really have a lot of proven options behind Jeffrey, so someone's going to have to work the seam and be an option in the red zone when Jeffrey gets double teamed. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, not too much to say in this one. Jordan Reed had a big day, uh, nine catches for 120 yards. Did catch all nine of his targets. The Alfred Morris, Matt Jones show. Um, I, I think I talked with Zine on Friday about about Matt Jones, and we we both kind of liked him as a as maybe a dark horse tournament play in, in daily, but not so much. This is where our colleague Mike Doria would make the the cut it gesture because he doesn't want to talk about the Washington backfield. It, it's bad, eighteen mm-hmm. to eleven carries favoring Jones over Morris, but it was Morris who got in the end zone. Uh, neither back really caught much in terms of passes in this one. Just a, an ugly offensive performance overall outside of what Jordan Reed did again nine for 120 and a score really nice game 
for him. Panthers 38, Falcons 0. I mean, that pretty much says it all. Cam played extremely well. Made one of the best throws I've seen all season on that TD pass to Ed Dixon. That's going to be on the highlight reel, I think, throughout the season. I mean, what's left to say about the Falcons? They're just dead at this point. And Carolina, meanwhile, does look like they have made their claim as the best team in the league. Who's going to beat them? When are they going to lose next? Are they going to be like that Vikings team, or are they actually going to run through and go all the way to the Super Bowl? They had a couple scares in this one. Greg Olson left briefly with a, with an injury. I'm not sure he returned. They were they were up by enough. He was back yeah, out on the sideline. He looked lead. he was running around at halftime. He looked he looked fine. But uh, a scare with him. Jonathan Stewart left with a foot injury. So at that at that moment, it, it looked like okay, this could all come crashing down pretty quickly if one or both of those guys are hurt. But you know, assuming they're fine, I don't know. I mean, I I'm certainly rooting for them to to keep this up. I think it's a fun story and what's been an otherwise pretty gross division i mean they, they lead the division and then the next closest team is six and seven well the thing about this too is that the jonathan stewart injury may be more serious than initially mm-hmm. seemed too it wasn't necessarily a precautionary move for him olsen probably does seem more precautionary so you're, you're probably talking about a run game now featuring fozzy whitaker and cameron artist Payne, and cameron artist Payne's barely been able to get on the field so i i do wonder if the absence of jonathan stewart take something away if they start getting three and a half yards per carry instead of over four which they've been getting from him how much does that actually hurt this offense I think it can hurt him quite a bit I think Jonathan Stewart's been one of the three or four most uh, underrated running backs this season I mean there's a guy who's top seven in, in rushing might even be higher he might have fallen a little bit after this game but I think it's been kind of this team has been kind of billed as the cam show and you know it, a lot was made about the lack of weapons especially on you know on the perimeter with the lack of receivers but you know, I mean, credit's due to Greg Olson and Jonathan Stewart. Maybe not quite as much as it is to Cam, certainly. But, I mean, these guys have been huge, huge parts of what's been a pretty crazy season for them thus far. They have a plus 168 point differential this season. The next highest in the division is Atlanta at minus 16. Yeah, nice job, Atlanta. Way to make things happen with that minus 38 this week. I really have nothing else to say about I them. I hate I mean, the Falcons. Devontae Freeman owners are ticked off, too. Matt Ryan owners like that myself, was Julio Jones owners. Julio is like the only one who's still even close to just getting his on a regular basis, which if this offense didn't have him, how bad would it be right Oof. now? I mean, I mean this was a team, they were 5-1, and one, right? 6-1? and 6-1, one? and one, were they 5-0 and oh at one point? They were, they were yeah, destroying well, they, teams didn't early in the year. they sweep the NFC East to yeah. start the year? Yeah, they swept the East and then beat the <laughs> Texans in Week 5. How about uh, that? That's, gross. that's pretty great. Yeah, that's Se- not a good team. Seahawks 35, Ravens 6. That's kind of what we expected. Thomas Rawls got hurt, though. His season is over due to an ankle injury. I think he suffered that in the first quarter, too. I had him all over the place. Yep, so did I. On DraftKings, I got him in the stake league. That's going to be a big one. Bryce Brown's been signed. Maybe he gets some run here in the short term. Fred Jackson probably sees an increased yeah, role. Yeah, that Fred Jackson uh, acquisition is looking pretty good right now. He's probably pretty fresh, too, because right. they really haven't used him all that much. So I think if I'm chasing a back that's available from that group, I think Fred Jackson might be the guy I'm most interested in to help me out at running back in week 15 and beyond. Doug Baldwin, though, just continues to impress. Seventh TD in the last three games. I mean, he's, he's just on a heater, right? Like, that's that's just like a, a new... That's, that's, not, that's not really a thing, right? Like, he's just getting lucky. Like, everything's just lining up. Eh, I mean, I think so. I, I think part of it, though, is no Jimmy Graham. Uh, even though you, know, you could probably say he was underutilized by this team. I think that just kind of redistributes the targets. Part of it is just Russell Wilson firing on all cylinders at this point, too. I mean, 16 touchdowns and no picks uh, during this four-game winning streak coming off that loss to Arizona. I mean, this is 
This Seattle team, I think, is about as scary as just about anybody, maybe other than Carolina, in the NFC right now. Man, I misspoke before. It's eight TDs in the last three, and you're right. Their, yeah. their form right now is outstanding. I mean, he's got 11 touchdowns on the season, nine in his last five, eight in his last three. Uh, he's got 10 targets, six targets, eight, seven, and nine over the last five games. Uh, at least 80 yards. This is, in four if it's of just five. a heater, I mean, he's on an extreme heater. I just, why was he so bad before this, though? That's what doesn't make any sense. Like Jimmy, Jimmy Graham took some targets, think, but it's well, not I like the targets are just up that the much. Office. I mean, Russell Wilson was getting sacked five, six times a game. So the offensive line play right. is I think, I think, yeah, I think they've just kind of figured it out. And, you know, that's kind of a cliche thing to use, but I kind of think that's what's happened. I mean, are you confident enough that Seattle's going to keep playing well over these next three weeks, that they'll stay as the first wild card, which would mean not coming to Green Bay in round one? Yeah, they'll they'll be the five. I don't think there's any real concern there that they'll fall yeah, that would earn them a date uh currently with the redskins that fedex it's exactly what they that's want exa- that's exactly what they want that's a buy basically right and then they go into carolina after that which is well does does the nfl re do they reseed the, the the lowest seed remaining goes yeah lowest team goes and plays the highest okay. seed for the second round so, so that would you know conceivably be between green bay assuming they were to beat minnesota or whoever gets that second spot which it looks like right now, you know, barring a complete collapse by one of those two teams, those are going to be our wild cards, right? I mean, sitting sitting below Seattle and Minnesota at 8-5 and five are Tampa Bay, uh, Atlanta, Philadelphia, and possibly the Giants if they win tonight all at 6-7. and seven. Yeah, I'm not really expecting any of those teams to win the wild card. No, no, me neither. I don't think, I don't think the schedule lines up for any of them to do that at all. Packers 28, Cowboys 7. We pretty much said what we need to say about this one. Raiders 15, Broncos 12. Broncos were up 12-0 to the last time I checked in on this game. I, I, I kind of focused in on the Green Bay game at that point and didn't really catch the score until it was over. And I will say I was pretty shocked that Oakland came back. Khalil Mack, I think, had a huge game in this one for the Raiders. I mean, Brock Osweiler looked really bad in the second half. Vernon Davis had his best game, I think, so far as a Bronco. 7 for 74 on 9 targets. Had a really, uh, really drop? bad <laughs> drop. Horrible it drop. It was his best game. Was until that drop. Uh, That's about as bad as a drop gets. Fourth down. Fourth down conversion. He was wide open, too. No one was even in the frame with him. And this is a a play that probably gets you into field goal range, right? At least, yeah. It was a past midfield, I think, where he dropped it. It was a 20-ish yard throw. I mean, yeah, just an egregious drop from a veteran. But Brock Osweiler, I just don't know if he's done enough to keep the job once Manning gets back if Manning gets back uh, Emmanuel Sanders is quiet in this one Denver's defense completely shut out Amari Cooper Michael Crabtree wasn't very good either four catches 19 yards five targets Latavius Murray 1.7 yards per carry in this game I mean this this whole offensive performance on both sides was among the worst I've seen in the NFL this season yeah I mean this is this is kind of what we expected at least from from this Denver team maybe initially when Brock Osweiler took over but I mean he, the, the numbers say he played all right 35 of 51 and if you're going to ask a guy like this to throw 51 passes um you know no interceptions on, on 51 attempts I think is encouraging obviously this isn't a great Oakland secondary by any means but yeah like you said I mean, he's under fire sacked five times for 32 yards all five of those credited to Khalil Max. so um yeah I mean the Raiders a little too late for them obviously and now at six and seven but Denver's going to have a decision to make, and it's not going to be an easy one. And you know, honestly, I don't know if there's really a right a right way to go here. I don't know if there is either. I mean, I think with with them, it's going to be who do you feel better about losing with? Like that's the type of decision they're going to be making. Like which 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 path can you justify best if it doesn't work out? Yeah, and I don't know. I don't. I think 
it almost seems it seems odd to say, but it almost like helps them that Osweiler didn't play all that well in this one. You know that that he didn't win this game because then you you know if he if he were to come you know if Manning let's say says he's ready to come back uh, you know week sixteen and Osweiler comes into that you know as like four and five and as the starter then it's a little bit more difficult, right? Yeah, it definitely puts a little more pressure I think on Gary Kubiak right. if that happens. And I mean the game against the Bears. He was 20 of 27, 250 yards, 74.1% completion percentage, over 9 yards per attempt. Since then, 6.4 yards per attempt against the Patriots, cold, snowy conditions, good defense. A 6.4 against the Chargers, really bad defense, only threw it 26 times. And a 6.0 against the Raiders. I mean, that's not... A step above what we were getting. Well, from the, Peyton but he's Manning. not turning it over like Peyton Manning. When I mean, Peyton Manning is still like far and away the leader in interceptions right now. Yeah, well, that's that's been the difference for sure. And I, I just wonder how much of that with Manning is a result of the health, the lack of health that he's had earlier this year. It's just it, it's kind of crappy for Denver that this decision is going is. to be as tough as it is because early on, especially after that first Bears game, it, it just looked like okay, this is Osweiler's job, and and we're done here. And well, it's it not very quickly there. shifted from. Have we seen Peyton Manning play his last down in the NFL to like a week or two later? It's, oh, Peyton Manning's going to be back. Yeah. You know, he's going to be when, ready to be back. Now it's, when's Peyton Manning coming back? Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's a, I just don't know if you can really go the right way. And of course it's, you know, it's not your, you know, I don't, I'm trying to think of an example. I don't, it's not like your, you know, your mid-career, pretty decent starters coming back. You know, it's Peyton Manning. It's like arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. So it's not, not only are you faced with the situation of your regular quarterback is returning should you start him it's your regular quarterback at the end of his career you know a top three for sure quarterback of all time is coming back and that just kind of adds to it you know it's it's almost I mean the, the comparison has been made with the Kobe Bryant situation with the Lakers and you know at what point do you weigh his legacy and his impact over the on-court or on-field results and Denver's kind of in a similar situation yep it's uh, definitely a lot like that Patriots 27, Texans 6, not a good Sunday night game at all. Houston's offense just couldn't move the ball. Brian Hoyer left this game with a concussion. DeAndre Hopkins held to just 52 yards on three uh, three catches, six targets. Logan Ryan did a pretty nice job covering him. Jonathan Grimes, Chris Polk carried the load for Houston, a combined 85 yards on 18 carries. Brady was 22 of 30 for 226, two scores. Brandon LaFell just can't catch a break. He had a TD called back due to an illegal formation penalty. Uh, got knocked out of bounds at the one-yard line on another catch. Five for 32, eight targets in total. So he's still getting looks, but just not being all that productive with them. Hard to give up on him right now if you're still hanging around in the fantasy playoffs. But Gronk was back in this one, Nick. Four for 87, had a TD, four targets. Didn't play, I don't, think, I don't know if he played the usual complement of snaps, but played close no, to it. Not it, in the first half. He was, he was being held out. But yeah, it, even I when mean, the game was out of reach, he was still playing in the mm-hmm. second half, which is kind of surprising. Right, yeah. I think, yeah, I think he... The, Maybe we're convinced by how he looked or how he felt throughout the game, and just trying to leave him in there a little bit, a little bit more in the second half. But he was close to having two touchdowns. Was, I think it was his first reception of the night, a long one. The defender fell down, and you know it's, it's a tackle that I was I was almost shocked that he went down on. It's usually the type of tackle you know a cornerback coming up that Gronk kind of just shoves to the side, but he was tripped up right around the five yard line there. So you know a few yards away from being a really monster performance. Um, but yeah, I mean, just glad to see him back. Honestly, I, I, I'm not a Patriots fan by any means, but you never want to see a team, especially a contending team like that, uh, you know, see its hopes kind of ripped away on a, on a freak injury. Yeah. I'm with you there. Uh, the running game 
didn't do as well once the Garrett Blunt left this game. He had 10 carries for 53 yards, but left with a hip injury. Brandon Bolden took over, 16 carries, 51 yards. Really didn't see much of James White on the ground. Did catch four passes for 38 yards, but a pretty standard performance for the Patriots. Once they got up in this game, really didn't have to do much. Didn't necessarily have the chance to run up the score because Houston's defense played a lot better in the second half. Their pass rush looked pretty good. Uh, Jadavian Clowney had a couple sacks in this one. Big game for Clowney, so maybe the sign of things to come for that Houston defense. Yeah, not much from J.J. Watt and playing through that broken hand, obviously a little bit hampered. But, yeah, I mean, Clowney is just a name I've completely forgot about, which is crazy. I mean, how big of a a prospect he was coming out. I mean, one of the – if you're talking about hype for a defensive player, I I don't know if there's been anybody. I think Glenn Dorsey comes to mind as one of those guys. I mean, this is is somebody who was kind of the face of college football a couple years ago. And, you know, I guess injuries have kind of relegated him – relegated him to the sideline for so much but yeah I was glad to see him uh, making an impact in this one but like you said this game was was over pretty quickly I mean it was it was clear that New England wasn't necessarily on its a game for for all of the night uh, but they certainly played well enough to sew this one up probably by halftime yeah it just never felt like Houston was going to mount a comeback no. once the second half started I mean it was 20 to 6 I think early in the third quarter and right once it was a, a it was a 14 point lead that just seemed like enough Right, and there were a few plays, it, you know, some fumbles that New England committed. They, they continue to have issues on special teams, and you know, but you just never felt. I mean, Houston kind of was given opportunities to get back into this one, and they, you know, just kind of time after time, it was you just, you know, Brian Hoyer against the against Belichick and the and the Patriots is just not a fair fight. No, it, no, it really isn't. I mean, as far as coaches go, I know Ober- Bill O'Brien used to be on the staff there, but Belichick versus Bill O'Brien is just it's it's a heavyweight versus a lightweight. All right, that should do it for all of Sunday's games. Quickly, what's your prediction for Monday night? Giants at Dolphins. Hoping for a shootout. I think it's going to be Giants like 24-20, so it's not going to be the full-fledged shootout, but plenty of offense. Uh, what I need to happen is I need Lamar Miller to have a really big game. That's going to go a long way towards Good helping me that. out. Yeah, I know. It's like, yeah, <laughs> just just don't fall behind, Miami. Just just stay within striking distance so you don't have to abandon the run. But I think 24-20 Giants. How about you? I think the Giants win this. It's in Miami, although I would argue at this point that's like that's like a home disadvantage for it's the. It's like playing in San Diego. It doesn't seem like it matters, right? Yeah, and you know, I, I did hear they are going to hand out uh, white towels, though. Apparently, that's something that the Dolphins used to do back in the day. So, trying to get trying to get the crowd drummed up a little. White bit towels more. are unique to them. I I don't know. I don't know. I just saw something on on Twitter. I think about it. Some writers said like you know all fans in attendance will receive one of these, and it's got like the old time logo on it. I was not alive in the 60s, full disclosure, so I'm not sure what that's all about. But, you know, I think a, an effort at least to, to get the fans interested. But we'll actually probably be able to watch this one together tonight at the Rotowire Holiday Party. Yes, that's right. The Rotowire Holiday Party is going down tonight. We'll probably have that on. We'll probably have some hoops on as well. So it should be, should be a good evening. Well. Yeah, absolutely. So, as always, thanks for listening to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. We are brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. Again, you can use the promo code ROTOWIRE when you make your deposit on DraftKings. That'll get you a free contest entry today. And of course, be sure to check out our site. It's ROTOWIRE.com. If you're not a subscriber and you want to be a subscriber, you want to check out what we have, you can just go to ROTOWIRE.com slash pod. It's P-O-D, uh, like that great uh, band, P-O-D, which I'm sure you're a fan of. Uh, and you can get free 10 days of access there, no strings attached. So definitely do that.
Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.